0: that helps you write good I'm RS Benedict we all incorporate the real world into our fiction it's impossible not to maybe we base a character on someone we love or hate maybe we write a story inspired by a real-life event something that happened to us or something we heard about in the news or in a history book but what are the ethics of this Are we stealing other people's experiences? Are we exploiting other people? What, if anything, do we owe the people we're taking from? But insisting on some kind of gag rule is censorious and unreasonable and just unrealistic. There's no way to avoid using the real world in your fiction here to weigh in on this topic is ryan estrada ryan tell us about yourself
1: hi i'm ryan and i have been making comics since i was a baby some of the things people might know me from are banned book club my graphic novel with my wife kim hyun sook about her experiences taken from true life running from the police reading banned books people might know the viral comic learn to read queen in 15 minutes that i forgot to put my name on so you've probably seen it but didn't know i made it and for what we're talking about here today the two books i have coming out this year are uh, Student Ambassador to the Silver City and No Rules Tonight, which are both fiction books that take aspects from uh, real life. So I'm excited to talk about how, how this weird thing, this sticky subject, uh, is thought about.
0: Right, right. And I can't stress enough, to some degree, we all draw from real life. We draw from experiences, maybe directly, maybe indirectly. Some writers do it a little more blatantly than others. So if you watch Law and Order, I'm sure you've seen the various ripped-from-the-headlines episodes where you're going, oh, that's the Michael Jackson episode, that's the this episode, that's the episode that's about O.J. Simpson, blah, blah, blah. They te- deal with real-life events in a very, very hilariously terrible and sleazy way. Or sometimes you're reading a book where you feel like the author is very mad at a specific person from their life, like maybe an ex or something, and they're not handling it super good. There's season one of The Terror, which was based on a real incident, although the real incident probably didn't involve, like, a demonic polar bear. I mean, some works do it more elegantly than others, and kind of what I'm wondering is: is there a line where it becomes not okay, or should there be one? And I don't have an answer to this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I think uh, what's what's interesting about some of the things that you mentioned there, like I think within. Using uh, true life, there's a bit of an uncanny valley in the same way there is we talk about the uncanny valley of like animation. Like if there's a a human character in a movie that doesn't quite look like a cartoon character, doesn't quite look human, it just creeps us out. And I think a lot of the things, like you mentioned, Law and Order, where you're like you're clearly talking about this thing I saw in the news last week. It makes you feel weird because like you're using all the details, but you're just changing the names, and that's kind of where the uncanny valley comes in. But I mean, everything we do is obviously based on real life, whether it's fantasy or science fiction or slice of life, because you know all we know is what we've drawn from the world, and we're kind of remixing all of that. For me, like every character I write in anything is me i wouldn't say anyone's based on anyone else because i take aspects of people that i know in situations that i know but then it's kind of like i have to fill in the blanks with myself like the frog dna in jurassic park because like you never want to <laughs> just retell someone's story like i think one of the lines i often use aspects from people that i've met but if someone were to be like man you would not believe this thing that happened to me and they tell me a story and then I just make a comic about that story. That's theft. Because they could, you know, they could make a yeah. uh, comic about that. They could tell a story about that. And I'm just kind of stealing that from them. There have been situations like Band book club is just that very thing where my wife told me a story. I couldn't believe it. And then I tweeted about it. We were offered a book deal based on that story. And I said, well, don't just hire me. Hire her. It's her story. And she's like, I don't write. And I'm like, well, you're, you got to write it with me because I'm not just going to tell your story. I want to you to work with me and tell it together. And we interviewed all the real people. So there's that, but also like if someone tells you a story and it makes you like, it gets your imagination going and you think of some other aspect of a story of like, Oh, this is what I would do in that situation. And part of the story is kind of loosely based on what someone else did, but you're going off in another direction. I think that's something you have to think about, you know, for yourself is this, is this right? Should I ask that person? It's always a conversation with yourself.
0: Right. And I I don't know what the line is. I do get a sense that there is such a way of crossing a line. Like, I don't know if there are ways to write about another person that's invasive or inappropriate. As much as I, of course, believe in freedom of expression and freedom of speech, I also believe in like trying not to be kind of shitty. To other people. Like, I don't know, for example, if someone I vaguely knew wrote really violent Um, smut about me or something, I'd be really upset. I'd be really uncomfortable, even though Uh. it's fake, it's words on a page, nothing materially happened to me. I would not feel comfortable with that, and probably most people wouldn't. So, there's definitely a line, Uh. but how, as a writer, do we kind of figure out how would we draw that line? Like, if you say, do a, a rule of thumb, oh, you should ask permission, if only for an etiquette sense, then that cuts off a lot of yeah. art. It's not feasible for public figures. And in some instances, it's like, you know what? Fuck that guy. He deserves it. You know, if you have an abusive parent and you use those experiences in your writing, I don't think you should have to, like, ask permission from your abusive parent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the. You know? and the- the situation with the abusive parent is your story to tell and that you can't. Um, yeah. But like this is something I really had to think about with the books I work on with my wife, like with Banned Book Club. Banned Book Club is a nonfiction book. We're, we're working on a follow-up that takes a lot of the stories that we couldn't fit into the book and it we're calling it fiction because everything didn't really happen in that order. Like we had to figure out how do we take these leftover stories and turn it to a narrative. So it's interesting having – a book series where one is uh, nonfiction, one is fiction. But when we first started, like all of these people, all these book club members, all these teachers, all parents, family, friends, they all gave us their stories. And they we interviewed them and they gave us permission to use their stories in this book uh, to tell this history. And even though we had their permission, I feel, still felt a little weird about it because I'm like, you know, this is about running a banned book club under a dictator. So technically, even though these aren't crimes anymore, they're admitting to crimes. And, uh, right. so I, I changed everyone's names. Uh, I took people's stories and like, like there's, there's one, one woman that, uh, the character uni was mostly based on that actually almost every character is based on her. Cause I took some of her stories and gave them to different characters so that there was no one person that is, is her because, you know, again, even though they're telling me the stories I'm working from memories, I don't know every detail. They don't remember every word that they said, And so I'm having to create, even in nonfiction, any nonfiction you see, there's a lot of fiction in it because I don't know the words that were used. And I don't want someone to say, wait, I never said it like that or anything. So I worked really hard to not just disguise the character names, but also I changed the name of the city. I made up a fake university uh, just to show respect for everyone. And then the funny thing with that is that every single person and institution Ended up doing their own press tour to make sure everyone knew. like The real uni is a politician. She went around like, I'm the real uni. Read this book <laughs> about what we did. And then the mayor of the city invited us out. The The head of the school invited us out. They did a big press thing. Had all the media there and took photos and gave us like a certificate. And I whispered to my wife, I'm like, do they know that the government and the school are not the good guys? And then later the mayor's like, yeah, I know that. It's about how the government and the school are bad, but I used to be in a banned book club, but now I'm the mayor, so we won. So it's it's interesting seeing nice. how people react. And, I, you know, again, and I didn't need to do that, obviously, but I still felt it was important uh, just to make sure people were comfortable. But the difficult things are coming to when we then go on to the sequel where it's more – it's based on things that happen, but it's more fiction. Like, for example, uh, that mm. woman I said went all over the press and said, I'm the real uni – There's two characters, Yuni and Suji, that I really, really ship and I really wanted to make them kiss in the book. But I can't do that (laughs) because, like, this is a real woman that's a a real politician. And I don't want to make, like, a weird political scandal where they're like, you know, this politician's kissing another girl in a book. And I'm like, wait, it's fiction. But, like, (laughs) you know, it's... Yeah. So I had to make a whole new character for that romance to happen with. So, yeah, it's always something you got to think about that... If you take too much from one person, then does that limit what you can do with that character and and things like that? I'm also thinking about how if you're writing a creative work about real life or or historical
0: events, sometimes the entertaining Mm -hmm. fake story can overshadow the real one in people's minds because American history class in public school is terrible and so we learn what happened from movies and the movies are not very truthful like a really good example is the way the story of pocahontas is portrayed in pop culture Uh that most people kind of think they know which is wildly different from what actually happens and and what actually happened was a lot more depressing but on the other hand is it a fiction writer's job to educate or to or to just have fun i don't know because i i mean season one of the Terror. It is based on a real-life thing. I loved the show. I doubt its viewers will will watch it and think, oh, yeah, they got killed by a demon polar bear. That's what happened. But I kind of wonder, because there are, like, heroes and villains in the cast, and I'm guessing they were based on real-life crew members. It's like, well, did they just call a guy, who a sailor who, like,
1: froze to death, you know, a cannibal? Like, that's yeah. kind of rude.
0: <laughs> I don't know if you should do that.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen that, but I've heard the drama of, like, even Titanic, where I forget which character is. There's one character that they turned into a villain, and th- there's an entire town that, like, is devoted to, like, the, the, where that guy came from. And they're all like, um, excuse me, he, uh, he was kind of a hero. What are we doing here? And so, yeah, yeah, I mean, it is something that you have to think about as an author. What good are you putting into the world? And are you kind of, you know, replacing reality- with what you're putting out there and I think a, a lot of people more people shouldn't be afraid to take inspiration from a real life situation to tell your own story instead of saying this is what happened and then making up your own thing and not to say people shouldn't be allowed to but you know you kind of have to think about what the yeah. what is the impact you're going to put out into the world by doing this and make your own decisions about whether or not that that feels right to you yeah
0: i'm i'm writing a novel that's loosely based on a real life person but i ended up realizing okay i'm making this way too dramatic to the point where this real life person's i don't think she had direct descendants but like great great grand nephews and grand nieces might be like hey <laughs> yeah. don't say that about my great 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 auntie it's it's a character very loosely based on the forgotten screen actress uh, theta bara or theta bara but I realized, you know what, I want i want to take too much poetic license and I feel like it would be a little disrespectful yeah. to her, to, to the real life person to have her doing all this crazy stuff. So that was my choice was to sort of do a story about Theta Bra with the serial numbers filed off so I could play with it a little bit more because I couldn't keep close enough to the truth without like restraining myself from where I wanted the story yeah. to go.
1: Well, like I said, every nonfiction book is basically fiction. Like, with Band Book Club, even though everything in that book happened and I talked to the people that it happened to and the people that did it, that collection of stories is not a narrative. So the events of the book actually happened over the course of four years. And maybe something that happened at the beginning actually happened, you know, in her her senior year something that happened later. You know, I, I shifted things around. You know, and also in between events, like she moved, she, you know, changed classes, people graduated, But, like, if I just put all those events in order, it wouldn't feel like a story. And so I had to kind of move things around to make it work and make it feel like it all happened within one year. And the same thing with the fiction sequel. These are just stories that happened at various different trips that uh, my wife was on with different groups of people. And I kind of tried to bring in some of the same characters from the first book and make it all happen together. But... Yeah, I mean it it feels like when you're telling a story about history there's always gonna be some fiction and sometimes the fiction's to make it clearer and sometimes the fiction's to make it more exciting and you gotta figure out at what point do you feel uncomfortable calling it nonfiction, at what point are you saying it's fiction, and if it's fiction, should you just change the names?
0: Yeah, like I'm thinking of that novel, uh Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders, which takes the death of Abraham Lincoln's son and turns it into a weird ghost story. And the format of the novel is interesting in that it's all told as a series of quotations from gathered historical accounts, gathered testimonies, probably through some real historians' descriptions in there and real life quoted people in there with long conversations from ghosts in the graveyard where his son was laid to rest. And there's a lot of it which is just about the unknowability of history. Like, there are different accounts of what the weather was like on the day the boy died or what time of day it was. And if you're writing about history, I mean, unless you were there, and even if you were there, memory is really, really faulty. You're still interpreting things as you tell them. You're still... You're framing things in a certain way. You're, you are making choices as, as to what details you put in and what details you leave out. So even then, it's still going to be not 100 percent objective it's impossible to be objective as a human being i think
1: yeah and i think that like (laughs) historical fiction is a great thing there's nothing wrong with making historical fiction especially i'm not familiar with the book you're talking about but like if you say lincoln's son was a ghost like no one's going to be like hey did you hear that lincoln's son became (laughs) a ghost and did all these things like you know they're going to understand it's historical fiction and even if you're telling a fictionalized story of lincoln's life lincoln is a person that there's enough written about him and fact and fiction that like his family isn't going to be like, you said what about, you know, because he's a, <laughs> a figure of the popular uh, imagination. But, you know, and so there I think, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with making like Abraham Lincoln. What was it? Vampire Hunter or whatever. Like, sure. <laughs> yeah. That's not going to replace anyone's idea of who Abraham Lincoln is. But say you're making a film about a serial killer. And you reinvent one of their victims. That's a family that has suffered trauma. And are you making their trauma worse by like reanimating the person they're grieving and making up things about them? That's where you kind of get into the danger zone of is this going to hurt another person? And is that worth this story? Would I be able to tell the same story by making up a fictional victim, a fictional serial killer? Or, you know, even if you want to tell a story about this person, if we're making fiction anyway, why don't we just completely fictionalize who they murdered? There was a job once that I was offered to work on a thing about real-life serial killers, and I'm like, I don't... I don't feel good about doing it. was like a board game. And I'm like, I don't feel good about doing that. Cause like, uh, and it was like, yeah. you choose what serial killer you want to play as. And like, they listed their victims. And I'm like, those people are still around that like survived that. Like I'm not yeah. comfortable doing that. And that, you know, everyone has their own level of comfort, but I think it's important for someone to think about like, what is, how is the person this is about? Like I'll, I'll I want to segue into a, a I'm going from serial killers to a very silly story, but um, okay. to show the way you have to think about this, another thing in Band Book Club is one of the main characters is my wife's father, my father-in-law. And he. when we interviewed him, he was more than happy to tell me about the history and the, the politics that led up to it and that time in history. And I'm like, yeah, I already researched all that. Tell me more about your failed steak restaurant. Because I'd heard this story about his lifelong dream was to open a steak restaurant and he gave out risk everything and spent all his money to build it. And then the, the chef that he hired turned out to be a con man that had never cooked in his life and stole all his money. And oh, no. and I kept asking him a question. He's like, why are you, are you going to make a book about the biggest failure of my life? <laughs> and to me, that was important because it, it kind of worked as a metaphor for everything that happened where like... During that time in history, if you stuck your neck out and tried to do something new, society would, like, stomp you down. And I'm like, this is explaining everything in a personal way because I didn't want to make a, make a book about politics. I wanted to make a book about people. And so I kept asking him and, like, it just – he didn't understand. <laughs> but, I mean, he, he <laughs> told me the story and he allowed me to use it. But I'm like, I can't wait to show him the the reason. And then there was a very awkward moment at the end. Like, he he died before the book came out. So I never, I never got to show it to him, but it was so close because books were on our way, but we live in Korea. So like the book hadn't made it there yet, but people had already started reviewing it in America. And a lot of them had specifically called out how meaningful his story was to them. Hmm. So as he's on his deathbed, I'm trying to explain to him how meaningful his story was, but I don't speak any Korean. He doesn't speak English. So I use the Google auto translate where you like, uh, you speak and you turn around and it, it talks for you. And I tried to keep it simple, and I said, thanks to the way you raised your daughter. My wife is named Hyunsuk, So I said, thanks to the way you raised your daughter, Sook's life has touched so many people in so many places. And then Google talked, and he had the most sour expression, like, how, d- what, how dare you say it to oh, me?" And no. like, That's a weird reaction. And then later I looked down at the phone as someone else is talking saying their goodbyes, and I realized that Google didn't recognize Sook's life as English words. So what it said was, "Oh God, thank you for your daughter." Our sex life involves touching. Oh no, so many people. Oh in no, so many places. Um, and so I'm like, "Oh, oh no, God. wait! I need another turn. I need another turn." Someone, please explain this. And so, like, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, I mean, that's God. kind of like when you think about. I mean, I, I don't know if that was necessary for this topic, but I needed to, I need, I love that story scene <laughs> to tell it. But, but yeah, I mean, this is a, a person who's not a public figure, but this story is something that he has anxiety about, he has regrets about, but he also is happy that he did. He has very complicated emotions. So for someone to use that, It really takes some thought about how you're doing it and some conversation with that person. Like that's something that because I use the story word for word, like I couldn't do that without his permission. Like I could be inspired by that. If I were writing a fiction book, maybe I would write someone who had a dream and failed or I might write someone who was robbed by someone they trusted. But to use all the details, that would be immoral to just steal that story from him. But he allowed me to do it, and you know, if if this were a story that were uh, he was a public figure and it was a story everyone knew, like maybe I could be more free with with using aspects of it. But I think it was important to talk to him about it and make sure he understood. And even though I failed miserably at trying to make sure he understood, <laughs> uh, I think that's an important thing to think about.
0: Right? Oh gosh, that
1: is that is.
0: God, that's a
1: mortifying
0: story. It's great, though. So let's talk about a couple of somewhat well-known controversies or scandals or whatever you want to say, whatever you want to call it. Incidents in which a writer maybe drew too much from real life in a way that was perhaps not, not the best. Uh, We will start with the cat person controversy. Most of you are probably familiar with it, but in some, Kristen Rupenian, I hope I'm pronouncing that name right, Kristen Rupenian's wildly popular short story, Cat Person, about a very bad, very shortly lived relationship between a young woman and an older man. Well, it was the story that went viral, which is pretty rare for short fiction, especially literary fiction or mimetic fiction. It was very, like, hashtag me too era. It was really, really big, and it was a story that really, really resonated with a lot of women. A lot of my female friends said, like, this is it. This, this is how it feels. Like, oh my god, I feel so seen by this story, which is great. You know, I'm not, I don't want to take anything from anyone who enjoyed the story. I, I kind of enjoyed the story, but I felt like the ending felt a little cheap. But, it turned out that this really huge short story used some biographical details from two real people who did date for a while. And the two of them, after this story got huge, found out and were really, really, really uncomfortable with it. Like the man who was not a creep, like his fictional counterpart, the dude in the story is a real creep and the, the real life man is just not. Um, And unfortunately, the man had mental health issues and died a few years later. I've heard rumors that it was suicide, but I'm not sure. The girl that the story was based on was really, really upset for a few reasons. First, she felt like, hey, you didn't ask permission. This is gross and feels weird. I feel a little, like, invaded. And number two, the story framed this real-life relationship she had as something that was, like, ugly and sleazy and degrading when in real life, according to this girl, that's not what it was. Their relationship didn't last very long, but it sounds like she remained on good terms with the guy. It's just, you know, they weren't meant for each other. That That's how it goes. So the question is, like, did the writer do something wrong? What should we take from this as writers? Do you, there were people who were saying, like she owes them the money, or it's her fault the guy died, in, in a way. And I'm like, I, I don't really think so there. But on the other hand, like, eh, she probably shouldn't have use so many of these specific biographical details about these two people in, in, in this way
1: yeah i think that taking too much from one person without their permission i think is even beyond the the moral issues of it, i think can get to just laziness as a writer like i'm always i'm always taking details <laughs> from people i know like just from the same thing of like the friend i have like the way he scratches his ear when he's nervous i'm, I'm gonna put that in a book that's fine Or like when I'm writing a scene that takes place in an apartment, like I I can't you know, I need to I need to know in my head like where's the kitchen, where's the living room, where can people hear each other. So like if I'm inventing like completely fictional architecture for every scene in my book, I can't keep that straight. But if I'm like, I'll just picture my friend blah blah blah, blah's apartment. Like I'm picturing that apartment and I'm describing that apartment. And maybe like, oh, there's this really ugly picture on my friend's wall that I'm going to use as a metaphor for something. And that's great. But if you are then like, I'm going to take my friend's apartment, my friend's ugly picture, but also the main character is a caricature of this one aspect of my friend I don't like, then you are then yeah. you can make a character based on a caricature of an aspect your friend you don't like. You can make a character that lives in your friend's apartment. If you do both, then you're saying that's your friend. <laughs> Even if you're, even if that's not how you, how you yeah. feel, you're making it that. Like there, there are a lot of characters I have that have like terrible personality flaws. I did a book years and years ago called "Aki Alliance" about a. It started off just like a teen is bad at making friends, but by the end, it's basically about a teen sociopath, a preteen sociopath, and it it comes <laughs> uh, mostly from like complaints like within my family and friends, like. Things people complained about each other, like their stereotypes of another person when they were mad at them. And I'd take that and be like, how can I make that, you know, an interesting character? But like Mm -hmm. none of those people are preteen girls and none of has nothing to do with (laughs) this character. So I can take those aspects and put them in there and they would never know because they don't see themselves that way. And I don't see them that way. And a lot of it is like. Someone would say something about someone. And I'd be like, I can, I can understand how they would feel that. And I look at my own flaws and put that into a character. Mm. And like there's situations I wrote another comic called the kind about a werewolf and the werewolf character when she's not a werewolf, she's just a woman. And every single outfit she wears is something from my wife's. Like I opened my wife's closet and like, Oh, she'll wear this one and this one. <laughs> and uh, her first kiss is my first kiss with my wife. Like I just straight up drew it. And and that was just because Aww. like my wife is not a werewolf she's never eaten anyone <laughs> and she's not like a depressed shut-in because she has trauma over eating people none of that is based on my wife but this is a character who murders people so I'm like I got to make her lovable so I'll put aspects of someone that I love but if I took those aspects and then also made the character's flaws similar to my wife's then my wife might be really angry at Ooh. me like the her yeah her flaws yeah. have nothing to do with my wife She's a werewolf that eats people, That's <laughs> you know. So I think that's kind of what you have to think about is, can someone look at this character and think, this is me? You know, again, you're talking about if this is your own story, a trauma that you experienced from someone, yes, I have no issue with you using that person to tell that story because this is your story. They can't take that away from you. But not just, you know, this story someone else experienced sounds interesting. I want to make a comic or a story about it, but I, I can't just steal it from them and use their name. So I'll make it fiction and just barely do it. I think that's where you get a little shady.
0: Mm. Yeah. So uh, moving to another controversy, there's the bad art friend controversy that was huge a few years ago. So unpacking this whole thing is massive and I, I can't even begin. I get the feeling that there's a lot of messy writer drama that I'm just not privy to, so I I won't be able to fully understand it, but to make a very long story short, a pair of frenemies who were both short story writers in literary fiction ended up suing each other when one of them wrote a story about a kidney donation based loosely on the other writer's real life donating her kidney to a stranger. And the rough draft of this story actually copied a letter written by the real-life kidney donor word for word, but subsequent drafts ended up rewriting it because, I mean, yeah. that is plagiarism. That is that is blatantly plagiarism. You, you can't do that. Um, and they ended up suing each other over it for, for various reasons. There was a lot of messy, crazy drama in there. But something that was striking is that this short story about a kidney donation, like the, the donor in the story, is very much a caricature of the real life woman it's this very kind of clueless white woman at least in the story and the recipient I don't I don't think anyone I don't think the writer knows in real life who actually received this kidney but the recipient in the story was is, is also a huge jerk so I remember there being a huge controversy on it in which the you know the, the kidney donor looked ended up being accused of being like kind of a, a vindictive person Or maybe the writer was accused of being, like, an intrusive, obnoxious plagiarist, or there was also sort of a racial aspect to it, too, because the kidney donor lady was white and the author was, I believe, Asian American. And it was just this this massive, massive, very strange controversy, but I, I don't know, like...
1: Yeah, th- yeah.
0: <laughs> like it's hard to even weigh in because i don't know any of the people involved yeah, i remember
1: <laughs> you know I, I don't know all the ins and outs of that story but i remember what stuck out to me is like when i said earlier that if you straight up just steal someone's story that's a story they could have told and that you know a lot of times people roll their eyes at that and like you know i mean that my mom's not gonna write a book but you know there you never know what your mom could do with that story don't take it from her but like <laughs> this is specifically two writers and you're stealing someone's story like Clearly, they want to use their own life experiences. And that's not to say you couldn't be like, oh, that I heard this interesting thing from my friend who's an organ donor. You you can write something about being an organ donor. You could take the emotions that that story made you feel and figure out how to make those emotions with a different story. But just straight up stealing someone's story and then changing details, that's theft. You know, of course, especially with just printing her letter, that's straight up like – Legal theft and not just moral theft. So, yeah, it's it's you really have to think about what how much you're taking from other people who trusted you with their stories. And like you know that we were talking before about like ripped from the headlines. That's that's even a very different thing from a story that someone in your life trusted you with stealing that. That's why like even with with Man Book Club and Occulted, these ones that I write that are nonfiction, I always I would never have done them if the person didn't agree to come on as a co-writer.
0: Yeah, I I do think in personal stories, even if it's not legally theft, I I think morally or or ethically or at least etiquette, it's pretty fucking rude. It's interesting that you mentioned rip from the headlines, though, because I do think I mean, rip from the headlines can be also kind of exploitative in a way because we know how media news media likes to sensationalize things and. There's what really happened, and then there's what the supposed story is. There's there's sort of we decide who's the good guy, who's the bad guy in a story, and that's not necessarily who's the good guy and who's the bad guy in real life. And rip from the headline stories often have to add another layer of excitement to it, because, I mean, maybe a real-life story is kind of interesting to read about, but again, if we're doing a Law & Order episode, it has to be a lot sleazier and, and more fun. I'm just remembering... Law and Order had this was years ago, a very obviously inspired by the whole GamerGate thing episode. And in this episode, the woman who's based, I guess, based on Zoe Quinn, the the unlucky target of this whole weird like video game hate movement, I believe on that show, that character gets sexually assaulted. So if you're that woman in real life, you're watching the show, go seeing like a character who's based on you get sexually assaulted, and it's like I'm not cool with this. Yeah.
1: That's not I don't I don't feel good about the fact that this is on TV right now. Yeah, and that that's where I talk about that that uncanny valley thing, where like that wouldn't be an issue if you said, hey, here's a situation where a group of men are treating women the certain way. I don't need to make it a group of game. You know, like why don't we just Think yeah. about why that story makes us upset and figure out another scenario that could tell that story. And not then you're not putting someone in that situation of being, oh, this episode is about me. And if I turn on my TV right now, I'm going to see someone playing me being sexually assaulted even if they change the name. I think that's something that, you know, there's no law against doing something like that. But I think it's something that, as an author, you have to think, am yeah. I comfortable with doing that to someone? Yeah,
0: yeah. This is one of those things where I want to stress we're not arguing in favor of, like, actual yeah. laws or censorship or, or lawsuits or anything like that. I, it's tricky on the one hand. Yeah, of course, I believe in free expression, freedom of speech, and I don't believe that art needs to be moralistic or that art needs to teach you yeah. A, a moral lesson as a human being. But on the other hand, writers and artists are also human beings and member of society. And as a human being, you do have an obligation to like, try not to be yeah. a piece of like shit. There's a
1: lot of things that make me feel icky. Do I think that should have been banned? No. Do I think it should be against the law? No. If that person went on Reddit and went to, am I the asshole and said, I wrote this book. Am I the asshole? I might vote yes. But, um, you know, that's just what we're talking about is how do we, as humans figure out how to treat each other well with with our art and do we want our art to make the world a better place or make someone feel gross
0: yeah so one of the reasons i really wanted to talk about this topic is kind of personal and this is something i actually learned about after my father passed away i'm gonna go into story mode here's some deep lore for me and i'm going to try very hard to avoid naming the writer in question because i don't want to beef with this writer. I'm not mad at this writer. I don't think they're a bad person. I don't want to start a war. I, Because sometimes when you talk about a writer doing something wrong, people go like, you should sue. They owe you money. They're bad. And like, I don't actually want to hashtag cancel this person. I, I actually think they're probably a, a probably a very nice person and I wish them well. So, but way back in the day, way before I was born, this was like, Late 70s, maybe early 80s, my mother was friends in college with uh, a writer who went on to be really, really, really big and successful in fiction. Like, award-winning author, a uh, book adapted into a movie with some Oscar-winning actors in it. Like, huge fucking deal. Huge, huge deal, this writer. You know, their friendship kind of dif- drifted apart because um, mom moved out to New York and this writer... Did stayed in the state where they went to college. Um, and, you know, that's just how it is. People drift apart after college. That's how it goes. So my mother kept this writer's books in, in the house, and I didn't, wasn't super interested in them, but um, I ended up picking up a copy of this writer's first novel, which was like a really small one, of print. Not a very good book, to be honest. It's, it's not one of the acclaimed books. And I was really shocked because when I opened up The first page, I realized that this book was about my father, who my mother was dating in college when she was friends with with the writer. So my dad and this writer, they like hung out, they were friends, the writer was friends with my dad's family, and you know, they just drifted apart after college as people do. But I was really astonished because on the first page, like, the name is 75% the same name. There's just a couple of letters switched out. The description of the living room, like, that is the living room of my father's childhood home down to the pet dog and the refrigerator magnets. The relationship between the main character and his mother is was how my dad's relationship with was with his mother. But the relationship between the main character and his kid sister is, like, 100% how... My dad and his younger sister used to bicker, and the story is about an adolescent main character going on a hitchhiking trip, which is something my dad did when he was an adolescent. So the author swears up and down that no, this isn't based on you, this isn't based on him, but like everyone who knows them goes, yeah, this is one hundred percent about your father. This is like we all agree, like no, he one hundred percent wrote this book about your father. And my dad didn't mention this to me growing up, which I always thought was weird because, like, if that was me, I would brag about it. Like, this massive prize-winning author wrote about me, like, basically wrote a fanfic about me. Like, holy shit, that's really fucking cool. I'd be bragging about it. So then, a few years after my father died, I ended up reading the book. I picked up a copy of it and read it, and I figured out why dad didn't brag about this. And there were two reasons, and the first reason is that this main character, who's very clearly based on him, is gay. And, like, Dad was a really nice guy, but, you know, he was a boomer. He was of that generation, not super 100% comfortable with gay stuff, and knowing that, like, this author, who's, uh, I should say, a male author, a gay male author, who was friends with his girlfriend and then wife, basically wrote, like, a novel-length gay fanfic about him. Like, that's a little much, you know? Like, knowing that your girlfriend's friend wrote a, Wrote and published gay fanfic about you is kind of weird. It's a little uncomfortable. And the second reason is that there's a section in this book where the main character, he's going hitchhiking, he gets picked up by an older man and kind of like groomed or molested or I don't really know what the right word to use in this instance is. And this character is freaked out because he's like 12 or 13. But he's also slightly into it because he's having his sexual awakening. And I'm like, yeah, okay, again, I, I can understand why dad did not brag about being featured in this novel. So I was kind of like blown away after finishing this book that like he wrote this whole thing and got it published. And this is just something that was kind of known within my family that this book exists and is about this specific thing. So, like, I'm not mad about this. I don't want to start a beef with the writer. The book is old. It's out of print. And it sounds like an interviewer, the writer is embarrassed about it now. He was a lot younger when he wrote it. It was his first novel, and usually your first novel kind of sucks anyway. But all I can think is, like, you know, if my partner's friend wrote a novel about me getting, like, molested while hitchhiking, I'd feel pretty fucked up about it, yeah. you know? <laughs> so that's kind of why this topic kind of came up. and and why i wanted to talk about it because i'm like i don't know what to do with this you know i read the book after my father passed away so i didn't know the content of it and i i don't know if i'd feel comfortable even asking him about it like so (laughs) tell me more about your friendship with this writer dad you know
1: (laughs) yeah i mean i wonder if uh if this was something where you know, like you mentioned, it's an early book. I mean, he's a little embarrassed about it. It might have just been like he wrote. Yeah. He was writing a story about this character completely had nothing to do with your father. But then it, he kind of realized this character is kind of flat. It doesn't have a personality. And because he's you know still learning to write, was just like, well, I'll put aspects that, from life and put too much of your father into this character after the fact. Or I don't know if maybe he started with your father and then decided, well, I need to change it up and go from there. Or maybe. Maybe your father, like, made him mad at a party once and he wanted to like yeah, who knows. Yeah.
0: Yeah, like I don't I don't know and I'm not in contact with this writer, so I don't I haven't asked him and I I'm so curious, like part of me wants to reach out to him and be like So podcast. So did you have a crush on my dad? You know? <laughs> did you write a novel length gay fanfic about my father? And now you've won this and that literary prize and have met Meryl Streep. What the fuck? <laughs> it's just so, so strange. And I don't know what to do with this or what to say about it. Our family's not
1: like scarred or mad or anything. We're all like, <laughs> yeah, that I happened. I don't know why why I'm the guest on this podcast. Sounds like someone else needs me on this podcast. Hashes out with you. Come on. I know. Me off. I'm too. Yeah. Feel free. To, feel free to re-record <laughs> yeah, this episode him. with him. <laughs> 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 what were you thinking yeah
0: i don't know i think he's he's probably yeah. too big a deal to
1: go on this podcast yeah. now
0: <laughs> you owe me I mean, what,
1: what i what i find funny is these things we're talking about like they this is definitely not a new thing one of the, the, the funniest things um uh, there's a little writer some people might know. I call him Chucky Dix because we're close. Uh, Charles Dickens. I I did a, a project for the local radio station once where I adapted all of his unknown uh, 22 sequels to a Christmas carol that he put out every year to, to bank on the the popularity and make more money. And he just got really really lazy with them. And there's some of them are so bad. But there was one point where he's just like he he's like oh, I gotta think of another idea for one of these. And one of them. Is called Mugby Junction. It's a Christmas horror story Mm. set in a train station. And he said the only reason he wrote it is because he went to Mugby Junction uh, train station. And there was a waitress who didn't recognize him and told him he had to pay for his meal up front because he thought he was going to dine and dash. So he wrote this entire book so that he (laughs) could have... Someone walk into a haunted train station and a really rude waitress was there and complain about this waitress. And so, like, even even the greats are doing this. <laughs> he did he did another one called Somebody's Luggage. Like I said, he did one of these every year, and eventually he's like, I don't have time for this. So he started hiring ghostwriters. And then the ghost writers all of a sudden were like, Hey, I mean, you know, you gotta start crediting us. We've been doing this for like ten years now. And he got so mad he fired them all and hired new ghostwriters to write a book about a guy who found an old suitcase full of writing and he published them himself and all the writers were just so happy that their work was read and they weren't whining about uh needing, <laughs> needing their name on it <laughs> so he just wrote he everyone he got mad at he just started writing books about why they're jerks so it's you know even charles dickens did it
0: yeah arguably yeah. i mean dante in uh, paradiso the the guide through heaven is Beatrice, and that was a woman that he knew in real life and I guess had a big crush on. Apparently he met her twice in his life and like was just madly in love with her and wrote her into this amazing poem as this beautiful embodiment of God's love and, and this guide through heaven. And in some ways it's, su- it's really, really sweet, but I kind of wonder if, I don't know, a modern day person would be like, dude,
1: that's a bit much.
0: You met this girl twice. You gotta, you gotta chill out, Dante.
1: Yeah. And, I th- and I think a lot of this, like I said, <laughs> comes down to is it your story to tell? And if there's a situation that happened to you, you're processing the thoughts, even if you're fictionalizing it. It's okay to tell it in a way that uses the the things that happened to you and the people that were in that situation. But you got to think about what's your moral stance on is this going to cause pain for anyone that or discomfort? For anyone that is not worth it, is there another way I should think about this? And if you're telling someone else's story, you know, just taking their story without permission is mm-hmm. a thing, you know. And, and like I said, there's a difference between telling a historical story that's out there and and then something that you've been entrusted with. There's a different you got to think about that different. There's so many different ways to think about this when you write it that I don't think anyone is in the position to you know, except for the people involved, to say you as a writer cannot do this but you as a writer should think about what am i right. comfortable with doing and and sometimes that's going to cause controversy you know we talked those stories you mentioned it's going to cause some controversy and people are going to have different opinions and part of the consequences of you know putting real stuff into your fake stuff aren't you being banned you being canceled you being you know you're you going you know breaking yeah. the law being sued the consequences are you might hurt someone you might people might get angry at you people unrelated might judge you and that's something that they have the right to do just as much as you have the right to use these things in your story so think about them before you do is kind of my what my takeaway from all this
0: do you ever feel like a little bit of a vulture in a weird way like occasionally when you're do you ever find yourself studying another person and like ticks and mannerism and thinking i might use this i might use that i might use this description and then go like am i being creepy (laughs) right now looking at looking at someone in, uh, nearby in a crowded restaurant and thinking like oh I, I can use him I mean,
1: the way my, my brain works like <laughs> I every moment or every day every experience I have I think about as a narrative and like oh what you know what would I how would I write this and so I'm always thinking about that in situations I'm in and it you know it's but thinking about it myself it kind of works out in a way that like I'm never afraid of or upset about any situation because if a situation works out great that's great And if it turns out horribly, I'm like, I'm going to have so much material from this. So with the other people that are involved in that, I I do kind of have to, you know, I, I never look at a person and say, what can I take from this person? And it's always kind of like the things that get stuck in my head. I'm not looking for these things. But if I end up like I keep thinking about like the way this person acts in this situation, it's something that happens after the fact, after I realize that I can't stop thinking about it. And it's kind of like. Like when a song gets stuck in your head, like I, as a writer, I'll be like, man, the, the way that guy reacts to situations like this is really, it makes me wonder what's going on in his head. And like that kind of wondering kind of sometimes a story comes from like, this is the solution I came up with why someone would do that. That may not necessarily be why this person would do it, but now I have a story. And then I have to think about if I use that in a story, is that person going to look at it and be like, is that me? but usually my my mind has wandered so much that it's completely unrecognizable at that point it started from this point but it mm. went on from it so i work hard to make sure i never feel like a vulture because anytime i'm at, i feel like i'm actually putting a person's story into my work i make sure that they're involved in that work i either bring them on as a co-author or i interview them and get their permission if i feel that i haven't expanded upon it enough that it's not it's my own story now.
0: Mm, yeah, that makes sense. I've definitely
1: done hey, that. I don't want. I don't want people to like be afraid of hanging out with the racers <laughs> yeah. and feel like they're staring at them. Be like, yeah. oh, 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 look at the way your glasses are crooked. I'm gonna make your girl crooked glasses. <laughs> yeah. Oh, judging every single f- action they make and figuring out how to. it into a character do
0: you ever realize you've put maybe too much of a person into a book or something like that realize like oh wow this is way more based on this person than i intended it to be that's not good
1: i don't think i ever have just because my mind wanders so quickly (laughs) like it just i start with one thing and then within 10 minutes i've completely moved on to something else like a lot of my work there are things that are based more on reality but a lot of my stories are a situation that i was in that I found fascinating but doesn't have a narrative. There's no beginning, middle, and end. Mm. Like the student ambassador series all comes from when I was student ambassador to Australia. And that was just like a kind of a tour group that they sent us on. And it was an amazing experience for me. But if I'm like, I applied for a thing and I got it and they took me there and we drove in a bus and they took me to see some cows and then <laughs> I, I saw some crocodiles, like that's not a story. Yeah. So I, I have to figure out like, you know, these are the people I met, these are the situations I had. Telling that story is not interesting. So how can I turn that into an exciting narrative? And then it kind of evolved into, you know, this kid's an ambassador who travels around solves, like, international mysteries. And to, like, Aww, like that's when, when, when you're doing this as a kid, you know, getting to go meet the mayor in a small town in Australia and, and he shows you a crocodile, that's just as exciting as, <laughs> like, you know, solving an international mystery. So I take that, you know, there's aspects of people that I met on that trip, but I don't think that any of them would read this and be like, oh, this is me because I kind of try to take not the people and the situations, but the feelings that I had and the excitement that I felt and how can I express that through fiction.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely, let's see, a semi-autobiographical story. I wrote one called Morbier and it's about a bunch of people who are working in a restaurant in a resort, which that was one of my jobs, and one of the most hateful part of my jobs was preparing a chocolate fountain. By the way, if you ever get a chance to eat from a chocolate fountain, do not eat from a chocolate fountain. They're a petri dish. There's there's very there's a lot of bacteria in them. It's not good. It's not good chocolate. It's not good. Don't eat from a chocolate fountain for your own sake. And we also just really hated it because preparing it was really gross and gloopy and messy, and it was hard to clean up, and it was just kind of nasty. And I ended up like using. So many elements from co-workers that I had and aspects of that job, which was extremely fun. Like, okay, there are pieces of this guy in my in this waiter character. There are pieces of that guy in this bartender character.
1: <laughs> I just remembered one situation where I, I wrote a book called Broken Telephone, where it's kind of a crime story where each chapter follows the villain of the story before it because everyone's a hero of their own story. Right. And I'd read this article about this guy that he just, like, posted a picture he took of himself on Flickr or something. And then years later, he found out that somehow that picture of him holding up his fist had become, like, a symbol of a revolution in another country. What? And, like, he had no idea. Like, it just, you know, someone just looked up man holding up fist and then turned it into, like, a graffiti cutout. And it was all over the city and all over protest posters. And that fascinated me, and I, I made a character who had a similar situation where his, a picture of his tattoo became a symbol of revolution. But then in my, my character, like, actually, it got, you know, got into his head, and he thought he was a hero, and he went there to, like, help fight the thing. And they're all like, dude, we don't need you. Like, yeah. we're doing fine. You're, you're a meme. You're not a hero. <laughs> and, I, and so I, I made that in a story. And, I'll, like, after I made it, I'm like, oh, wait, did I not – did I kind of steal that guy's story? Um, <laughs> did I turn him into a jerk did I make a whole story yeah. about how misguided and dumb he is even though he didn't do any of this <laughs> So I did after the book had been written like and il- I hired someone to illustrate it and I'm like, if he's offended by this do I have to like redo this and but I emailed him and told him I based part of a story on him and I am like it, it was just inspired by a half reading of this article about you this is not you and like showed it to him and like he seemed cool with it so like I, I felt I was fine but I'm like I really should have, Either contact him beforehand or, you know, even though I did change, you know, it, it was a completely different context, a completely different picture, a completely different story, uh, different country, the fictional country. But I'm like, what, you know, no one would see that and be like, oh, this is about this guy. But I'm like, what if that guy wanted to write a book about his situation one day? Would I be taking that away from him? So that's something where I felt like I I really should have done more to think about that before. Luckily, he seemed cool about it.
0: Oh, that's good. I mean, he's already been turned into a symbol of revolution. What's one more fictional
1: thing that's kind of a drop in the bucket? Now he's a comic book butthole.
0: (laughs) The life is a rich tapestry, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we've been talking for about an hour, so why don't we wind it down? Uh, Before we go, where can our listeners find your work?
1: Well, if you go to ryanestrada.com you'll find all my work there lots of free comics you can read lots of comics inspired by uh real stuff and the books i have coming out later this year again check out student ambassador the silver city which is the second book in the series that's another one of situations where it was you know a story that i loved but didn't have a narrative when i moved to my grandfather's hometown of Zacatecas, mexico so i made a once again him solving international mystery there That comes out in May and then in October, No Rules Tonight comes out, which is my next collaboration with my wife. And it's uh, stories about in Korea back in the 70s and 80s, there was a curfew where if you're out after midnight, you go to jail. And the one exception to that rule, because the curfew was started by American soldiers, Christmas Eve, you could stay out all night. And it wasn't really a holiday in Korea. Korea mm. that anyone really had any specific traditions for so Christmas Eve became the one night where you could do anything you wanted so it's a, it's a it's a book about that oh that sounds really cool So check all that out go to ryanestrada.com and uh, yeah that's me
0: well thanks very much for coming on the show
1: thank you for having me and
0: thank you all for listening if you like what you heard head to patreon.com/ write good and subscribe until next time keep writing good
1: this has been Write good with RS Benedict. It was hosted by R.S. Benedict and produced by Matt Keeley for KS Media LLC. Theme song by OK Glass. For comments and concerns, please write to us at writegood at kittysneezes.com. That's R-I-T-E-G-U-D at kittysneezes.com. If you'd like to support us, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash writegood. This has been a Kitty Sneezes production. KittySneezes.com In color